HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin leads the nation in the production of specialty cheeses, accounting for 47% of the total? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum. I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Today's episode number 100 of Feast Your Ears. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, you have 99 more shows that you can listen to that are all in the archive at heritageradionetwork.org. Um, I've invited a couple of uh, HRN luminaries to join me. Linda Palaccio is here in the studio. She hosts A Taste of the Past. Katie Mosman, our director here at HRN, is here as well. And Jennifer Liuzzi, I believe, is on the phone, who hosts Tech Bites. Are you there, Jennifer? I am. Hello. Hi. Thanks for joining me. Thank hey, you so we're much. We're all happy to be here. Yeah. Um, so so I, exciting. I'm going to start the show with, I wrote a little sort of uh, quick personal radio history. So to give everybody an idea of sort of why, why I love radio and how I came to, came to sort of be in this chair. Um, I grew up loving radio. All Things Considered was on the car stereo when my mom picked me up after school. Howard Stern woke me up for elementary school. I tuned in to listen to the Yankees and the Mets on hot summer nights in the dark of my bedroom. It's always been comforting to me that the radio is always there. And at least in the case of live radio, you know there's another person on the other end, or if you're listening to sports, tens of thousands of other people. It's a shared experience across the airwaves. I made my first mixtape by holding a cassette recorder up to the speaker and recording songs off of 92.3 K-Rock here in New York. When I was eight, I hurt my eye and I had to wear an eye patch. I wasn't allowed to read or watch TV, so my father put on a record of War of the Worlds. I closed my eyes and listened to the magic and subsequent panic that Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the Air created back in 1938. If you haven't ever listened to War of the Worlds, I highly recommend it. Put it on, turn off the lights, close your eyes. It's a masterpiece. 
I called in a few times to a show called Kids America that ran on WNYC from 1984 to 1987. It was a 90-minute show that was on every weeknight produced by WNYC. The thrill of calling in and getting to be on the air was amazing. I've not been able to pinpoint yet the dates that I was on, but I have spoken with the archivist at WNYC, and when I can narrow it down, he's going to help me find the segment, and we can play it here on HRN. I first encountered broadcast radio from this side of the microphone at summer camp in about 1989. The character on the camp radio station in Wet Hot American Summer, if you're familiar with it, could have been based on me. We had a low-power AM station and did camp news, music, and sports. In college in the 90s, it was all about pirate radio. I'd known about some pirate stations here in New York, and with a small group of other students at Hampshire College, we started a pirate station. I had a weekly show where I played back old serial radio stories like Tales from the Crypt, The Shadow, and more that my father had recorded off live radio in the 60s. Moving to New York in the late 90s, I scanned the dial and discovered that in this large radio market, there was always a station for my mood or work. Classic rock on Q104 for construction, David Garland and Spinning on Air on WNYC for music education, Steve Post and The No Show, which is my personal favorite radio show of all time, Satire and Opinions, WFUV for Folk, WKCR for Jazz, WQXR for Classical, and WNYE with its world programming like Trevor Wilkins and his Calypso show among many others, and that's just on FM. Now, in the age of the podcast, I have to say I sometimes find it overwhelming to have so many choices, so sometimes live radio wins out on my decision fatigue, though there are times that I know there's nothing on that I like to listen to. Saturday and Sunday afternoon, WNYC, I'm looking at you. (laughs) I'm excited and humbled to have been able to host Feast Your Ears now for 100 episodes and to join the ranks of some of the greatest minds in food radio today here at Heritage Radio Network. So, with that... Uh, now that you know a little bit about my personal radio history, I'd love to know a little bit more about yours. So, Linda, do you have any uh, radio memories well, you'd like to share? Well, I, 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 I do have uh, some memories, and, and they're all very interesting. Um, I loved radio. I probably listened to everything you just mentioned, and then some. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes back um, quite a ways. Uh, but I think it... Talk radio really started to hit me after, I guess, after my ears were blasted and I was suffering from tinnitus or whatever, whatever that is when you, in your ears when you've gone to too many concerts sure. and listened to too much loud music. And um, talk radio really then kind of hit a, a heyday, you know, as you were talking about a lot of the uh, All Things Considered, the, you know, the WNYC. Yep. And I found that, and Howard Stern as well, that... I really, and I kind of equated it to what the, the generation at the time needed. I wanted more. I wanted to, I wanted the takeaway, if you will. Yeah. I wanted to listen to something that I would learn something, that I would, I would kind of have something that would brighten my day and then I would be able to use later that I could take it away with me. Um, I got involved in television and, and um, on television and then producing television. And after that ended I basically I walked away from that because it was it was frustrating a lot you learn about it is that it's not about entertainment yeah. <laughs> it's <all> about selling <laughs> advertising um, but then I had the opportunity with some of the same people from the um, television time and it happened to be the food the TV food network we were TV FM and TV food network um, I produced I was executive producer of a two-hour uh, daily if you can imagine wow, that two hour radio yeah. show um, called Talk America. It was called Everyday Kitchen, and it was on this 
kind of strange not to you know, uh, <laughs> I denigrate anybody who's working there now, but <laughs> strange radio network called Talk America. And the reach was somewhere in rural America, in the middle of the country in Kentucky and and upstate western New York. Um, so now, the and, reach and was, was very this strange. this was syndicated on, on yeah, traditional it was, it was a, radio. It was a terrestrial Got radio, it. yes. And um, it was it was an eye opener. And the interesting thing about it, which made me no stranger than coming into um, podcasting, was that I produced it from my telephone, my first cell phone at the time, hmm. and ninety seven, I guess it was. And one host was in Rhode Island, and the other host was in New York City. And I would book all the guests, feed them all the information, fax, fax them all the information. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And, and uh, then it would be a call-in, and the show would go on with three people in three different locations, plus a guest phoning in. It was, I, I thought it was a feat of magic at the time. Right, sure. <laughs> look, and, you know, and, and look where we are today. But basically, what I learned from that, too, what I, and I wanted to do, I wanted to, I wanted my own show i wasn't under any constraints from anyone else and i wanted a long form show where i could just let the guests talk and talk and talk and and that's what i've got i mean i think part of the part of the thing about radio is that it also can be passive right you can you can do it you can listen to it you can consume it while you're doing other things i mean i mentioned listening to classic rock right i mean i when i first moved to new york my first job was running a scene shop at columbia university and i was hammering and cutting and doing all this stuff and we always had classic rock on in the background because it was sort of this like motivational thing i couldn't i don't think i could have listened to something like all Things Considered, or Heritage Radio at that time. You have because to focus. It was, yeah. You have to focus on yeah. it a little bit. What about you, Katie? Well, I just have, I, I have this transition that happened, um, and I, I can't exactly put my finger on when, but I grew up um, in a Volvo family, and uh, my dad used to embarrass me so bad because we used to drive around in his... 1984 Volvo 240. That's what I learned to drive on. Me too. Stick on an 81 240 wagon. And uh, and it was pretty um, pretty heinous, uh, like a sort of mustardy, nauseous color. And um, I learned a lot about Bondo when I was very young uh, because he didn't really you know, care about what the car looked like because it was safe. That was his thing, like safe car. So safe car had like sick mustard yellow and patches of Bondo all over it. And we would like go places and like, you know, the only thing that could have at the time been cool about this car, the 1984 is that it had a sunroof, but something had like fallen on it. So the sunroof didn't open. And there was like nothing cool about this at all. And it had that like 1984 car smell. And we used to listen to car talk and I hated it. I hated everything about it. And oh my gosh. Well, now I love that show and I don't know when I started to love it because I just had these associations and I guess like it just came with getting a little bit older and you know starting to appreciate the like the Volvo maybe when I got my own Volvo and it was a 19 uh 90 
for Volvo and had all kinds of issues with it all the time. And then I would actually listen to Car Talk with great interest because yeah. all of a sudden my car is like falling apart underneath me. And uh, and and I just also it kind of I guess once I had moved out from living with my parents, it made me a little more nostalgic for like the times that we would spend driving around together. And we had like you know, all the classic NPR driveway moments. And there were a lot of NPR shows, even when I was young, that I did really, really love. We used to listen to selected shorts when we were driving, and I loved that. And um, it's really magical now. Uh, it, I didn't ever think at the time that I would be working in radio. And so now to be in radio and in New York City and kind of overlapping and uh, meeting people from NPR... And uh, last night I went to Symphony Space for a, mm. uh, the Banff Mountain Film Festival. And it's just so funny because, like, little me driving around in that car, I would picture right. Symphony Space. <laughs> I didn't think, like, I'd just be hanging out there on a random Tuesday night. But uh, it's really fun to kind of think back about that sort of point where I started to just really love NPR and to, to really appreciate the old Volvos and to um, – Think about kind of the direction that my life has taken to put me here in charge of a radio station in Brooklyn. <laughs> awesome. Um, Jennifer, I know you're you're on the phone, but you're also working, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, you're preparing, you're you're on the line uh, serving sushi with Laurent Gras. Is that correct? That's very close. Um, <laughs> Laurent is... Laurent hey guys, I'm husband. not going to stand here because I have lunch. Just, I mean, when... <laughs> Oh, it sounds hey. like Patrick Martins is yeah. is busting in on the on the show. Patrick, is that you? Hello, hello, Patrick. <laughs> oh, here he comes. He's coming through the door. We here got a mic hot and ready for oh. you. I just want to say congratulations. Thanks, Patrick. As a joke, I say that you're one of the top 35 shows on the network. Also, it's the truth, though. But also the true. truth <laughs> is that, you know, you really explore stories through the lens of food and find out about people's food stories in a way that not many other people are able to do. So it's been an honor to be on your show, and it's certainly fun to listen to every week. Thanks, Patrick. You're here. That was that was Patrick Martin, everybody, the uh, the founder of Heritage Radio Network, also the founder of Heritage Foods USA. You got an all star cast, huh, for the yeah, hundred? Totally. The, the ED, you got Linda in, top rated show, amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. So back Jennifer, to the back yeah. to the back to the field, uh, Jennifer. You, <laughs> <laughs> so you're uh, you are you're you're prepping. You're what are you, what are you doing currently? So um, once a month. Since December, Laurent does a two-night pop-up at Rushstroke Restaurant in Manhattan. Rushstroke is owned by David Boulay, and it is a Japanese restaurant. Yep. And if you haven't ever physically been to the space, it's a beautiful restaurant. It's shaped sort of like a long triangle. And at the very, very tiny tip of one end of the triangle, there's this very unusual small-shaped room. Um, and it's beautiful. The, the walls are actually made of piles of books. And there is a tiny uh, sushi counter for nine people. It used to be Ichimura Sushi, uh, two-star Michelin place with uh, sushi chef Ichimura. And he went on to other projects. And they utilize the space as a noodle bar. But two nights a month, Laurent comes and he does sort of a chef's tasting menu at the counter. And... Um, it's, it's really been a lot of fun. So it's, it's a project that he really wanted to work on on his own, but he needs a little bit of help to prep and to do the service. So he asked me to work on it with him. So we've been doing this since December. So right now I'm doing the very glamorous tasks of 
julienning uh, some cabbage. I will be picking beautiful pieces of dill later. I will be doing a fine julienne of uh, chives later. Um, <laughs> but then we'll do some really fun stuff also. We make a handmade pasta and there's fish and grilling and all that kind of stuff. So Awesome. So when, yeah. you, are, uh, when you are prepping, uh, are you listening to any radio? No, we're just quiet in the space. Um, Laurent is not a chef who listens to radio or music or TV in his kitchen. Um, traditionally, he's a very kind of quiet, uh, quiet chef. He likes a quiet workspace. He's not a big talker or a yeller. <laughs> so well, that, it, yeah. it's kind of just quiet. It's, it's a beautiful space. We have windows so we can see the snow or have natural light. And nice. it's very pleasant. So we talk about the service, things that we have to do, things that we've read in the newspaper, you know, the phone call I'm going to make to call in to Harry's show, <laughs> um, and different right. things like that. Right. I mean, I, I understand that it's, it's a very sort of, uh, I think, divisive thing among chefs. Some chefs prefer a very quiet environment. Some chefs have preferred albums or records they like to listen to or radio, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like anything else. I think, you know, a good, uh, I mean, well, we all cook at home probably most of the people who are listening to this show are people who love food and love to cook at home. So you have a rhythm that you get into when you do that. I, I would also liken it very much to, you know, if you're a person who does a sport, if you like to run or you go to the gym, um, you know, people like to do different things when they're being active also. Sometimes you want to listen to music. Sometimes you just want to, you know, watch the road in front of you. And I think there's a part of um, cooking and certainly prep work, which is very uh, meticulous, but also repetitive yep. that, you know, you want to be attentive to what you're doing, but maybe energized by something. So it's almost, I mean, I think I, I don't want to get like too, you know, super esoteric, you know, chef philosophy, but um, <laughs> I think it is a little bit of a moving working meditation sometimes sure. when you're cooking. Absolutely. So I, I wanted to ask you, Jennifer, as the host of Tech Bytes, a heritage radio show specifically about technology. Um, yes. You know, do you have any do you have any thoughts uh, to share about radio as a technology as it relates to food? Um, you know, I think that I mean we are a, a station that is devoted to sharing mostly food stories. Um, I think you know related to uh, and you know sharing them on the radio. But I'm wondering if you have any any thoughts on how radio may have influenced uh, influenced food or things that we cook. Well, I think you know I, I'll incorporate my answer with a little bit of your uh, radio inspiration question that you started off with and your radio story as well. Now, I came to Heritage not exactly with a love of radio, but as a writer and a blogger and a person who had utilized new technology as a platform to tell stories that I wanted to tell. You know, I worked uh, for a long time as a freelance writer, and when you write for publications, you have to write in their voice. And so I started a blog a long time ago at the dawn of the internet. <laughs> Um, and it was an amazing moment of technology and a platform where I could really tell the stories that I wanted to tell in my own voice, which was a huge, huge luxury. And yeah. a, a few years ago, I started my show in January 2015, so I guess this would be maybe, uh, or I started in 2015, so this would be in 2014. I was looking around for that same sort of feeling to start writing again, telling stories again um, for myself, not for profit. 
And I, I really wasn't motivated by a lot of the writing platforms, even though they're functionally amazing. Um, it didn't have the same perfect storm of being a little bit ahead of technology on the trend curve with the, the platform of personal voice. And I started looking around for something that met that criteria, and I came to podcasting. And the thing that I love about modern podcasting and radio now is in, in day-to-day life, for the most part, our face-to-face verbal interactions are extremely limited. We communicate primarily via text and email. Um, you maybe see a video online, but it has no sound. We're reading things. Um, it's all digital. And we've really lost, I think, um, sort of the audio verbal communication that we've had you know, in face-to-face meetings and in phone calls. So podcasting to me was, was a perfect storm because technology puts it at the front and makes it possible. Um, but also the technology allows you to, you know, put it onto your phone or download it to an MP3 and take it with you. And many people, um, you know, all of the stories people told, um, you know, Katie and Linda and yourself, you talked about being in the car or being with other people. Today, people are listening to radio on headphones in a very solitary environment. So in an interesting way, I think that the technology of podcasting and Internet radio almost takes us back to a very intimate one-on-one analog experience of hearing someone's voice and hearing their inflection and their laughter and their enthusiasm and the awkward pause and (laughs) all the ums and things like that, which we totally miss out on, which I think communicates so much. So how does that translate to food? I think at the end of the day, food is a very personal thing. And even though my show is about technology, most of the tech I talk about is digital tech, app tech, web tech that is technology to lead you to a real-life food experience that's going to nurture you and taste delicious and be amazing. And I think that, you know, the vehicle of podcasting is, you know, something along those same lines. It's one-on-one. It's visceral. It engages one of your senses of hearing. And when when we listen in that intimate way about things like food and cooking, I think it gives you a much, much more vivid uh, imagination, sensory experience, desire to try it, desire not to try it, (laughs) depending on, you know, what it may be. Um, And I think it just brings, I think radio brings things like cooking to a scale of uh, physical level that I think that just sort of reading and seeing things visually might not. Absolutely. Um, Thank you. I mean, that, that that was a very complete uh, answer. And I totally, I totally agree. I mean, I think that, uh, it is ultimately still with food all about the, the actual in-person experience. Um, Katie has to, has to run out of the studio, but I know she has something she wants to say. Yes. Um, well first, Jennifer, thank you so much. That sums up, I think so much of what we are all aiming to do at Heritage Radio Network and what, you know, everyone in this room has been doing an awesome job with, and, uh, and all of our 35 shows are, are really helping people explore their own relationships to food. And also, um, you know, I think a lot of the shows do 
a great job of bringing people together over these conversations, whether they're listening in headphones or, or in a restaurant kitchen or wherever it may be. Um, and I'm so sorry that I have to run and get back to the ground here, but I just wanted to say, Harry, um, congratulations on your 100th episode. And on behalf of all of us at the network, thank you so much for everything you've done for the network through your show, your generous, generous support um, from you and all of your listeners and fans. I want to say thank you to all the listeners of Feast Your Ears and... Um, Thank you for letting us have parties at the Brooklyn <laughs> Kitchen. And uh, we just have so many great memories with you. We love you and can't wait for 100 more. So I uh, just want to raise a glass and say cheers, Harry, and uh, congratulations again. Yeah, yeah, cheers. Thank you. Thanks so much. Um, well, <laughs> Hit that applause button, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, we wouldn't be anything uh, at Heritage Radio without our sponsors, so I think it's time we take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors. And when we come back, uh, I believe that Sherry Beyer, host of All in the Industry, is on the line, and I would love to hear her thoughts on radio. to you by Wisconsin Cheese. What do you think of when you hear Wisconsin Cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh and squeaky cheese curds. Or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally anyway, anytime, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese, the farmstead cheese company behind Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I think of delicious stinky Limburger and its long storied history. I think of Dunbarton Blue, made by master cheesemaker Chris Raleigh. I think of Ross Grand Cru Sierchois, which was named 2016's World Championship Cheese, and Satori's Black Pepper Bella Vitano, the 2017 U.S. Championship Cheese. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese with lush grasslands and a glacial water supply that produce the very best milk. Fourth-generation cheesemakers combine old-world tradition with new ideas and the highest standards to make innovative cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back to the 100th episode of Feast Your Ears. Thanks for uh, for joining us. If you're just tuning in, uh, today is my 100th episode hosting this show in this uh, sometimes leaky shipping container behind Roberta's in <laughs> Bushwick. Um, so on the line, I believe uh, Sherry Beyer, host of All in the Industry, has joined us. Hi, Sherry. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Great. Thanks for thanks for calling in. Um, I don't know yes. if you heard the beginning of the show. Uh, we were recounting some personal memories about radio, and I was talking about uh, my childhood memories of listening to the Mets and the Yankees in the dark uh, as a kid. And Linda was talking about her uh, her some memories of things, and Katie was too. So I'm wondering if, what what your kind of earliest memories are of uh, of radio as a listener. 
Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. Thank you so much for, for allowing me to be a part of your 100th episode. It's it's a, a amazing milestone, and congratulations. And I I mean, thinking back to radio growing up, I, I don't have that much ra- um, memories of talk shows or I listen, I mean, I remember listening to the radio in the car with my family and having favorite songs. I would always, my mom would always turn on the radio in the house and have her, her favorite, her favorite tunes playing. And I feel whenever I walk around the city and sometimes I hear those, those songs from the eighties and, and those like classic rock songs, it just, it brings it all back to my childhood. Um, so I think podcasts have became a part of my life later in the game and a sure. lot through Heritage Radio Network and the shows that started before mine, like Linda's show and show and Jimmy's show and um and it, it made me want to be a part of it as well and, and get in the podcast radio game. Awesome. Um and do you have a uh, do you have a favorite moment in the uh in the Heritage Radio studio? You know, I was trying. I was thinking about that. It's so hard to say because I feel every week when I do my show, it's like a new favorite episode. Sure. Like every guest is a little different. Uh, every show brings out something else uh, in me and and with what I learn about people. Um, I, I would. I always have to go back to my hundredth episode where I had um, the privilege of having Danny Meyer on my show, and I. I mean, it just. I'm still in awe that he came on and we were able to talk about so many things about Union Square Hospitality Group and his career. Um, so that one always stands out for me as a, as a, as a favorite moment, just because I'm a, I'm a huge Danny fan sure. and um, it, it made my hundredth episode extra special. Absolutely. Um, Linda, I know you had something that you were, you wanted to bring up uh, about that, you know, it's not just about us. I mean, there are 35 shows produced every week in here, and us as hosts, we're here every single week, but we all have guests. So there are maybe, I don't know, 40 guests every week. Easily, easily. And Sherry, you just alluded to something about, you know, all the different guests and thinking about all the people you've had on. And you wonder, what is their reaction? Because to our listeners who haven't heard the drill before, we are in a couple of shipping containers in the back of a restaurant that is itself kind of a DIY, you know, formed restaurant. It's, it's, um, it's very unique. And um, I think by and large, when guests walk in who have never been here before, well, at least for me, way back in the beginning, when when we first started, they would walk in and they were floored, they would be awed by Oh, my God, you're doing these shows out of <laughs> this is the space right. Yeah. right and it's amazing you don't you know you don't need a fancy slick studio and the and the guests all love coming here yeah, they love they and they love the relaxed atmosphere being able to sit around and just talk face to face with us and um having been an, an npr guest <laughs> a couple of different times it's even though you're there in the room with the person and the host, it's still kind of an impersonal situation. We are, sure. we're very personal, very hands-on. I love yep. NPR, not to, don't get me wrong. But it is, it, this is very personal. And lest people think that it's a, it sounds so easy, and um, the hosts, Harry and, and, and Sherry particularly, you both do such a marvelous job keeping up a nice banter with the guests. 
it's not always easy. I mean, you know, we have so many different guests. You say, what's your favorite time? How maybe you could ask, what's your most challenging time that you've had? Sure, I mean, that's, that's a very good point. I mean, I, I definitely, you know, we were talking during the, uh, during the station break, Linda, about phone interviews and how sometimes they're so hard. They are and, and one of the wonderful things about being able to have people in the studio, not just to show them this kind of ramshackle, fun place where we do the podcasts or do the shows from, um, is that you get to have that face-to-face reaction right. with people. And phone interviews are sometimes really hard because people start rambling and you kind of can't. It's hard to break in and rein them in. I did an interview uh, a couple shows ago. I won't, I won't call it out by specific, but uh, that, was, that was difficult in that way where the guest kind of went on kind of a tangent and it was hard to rein him back in. Well, that's one of the things you have to learn. You have to, I, I always tell the guests, I said, if I throw out a topic to you, talk as long as you want. My job, is to know when to interrupt you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. You, it's it's a it's it's a that's a hard task to learn. You have to know when to cut in, when to interrupt. Um, and but I will say one of the I have two stories, but one that I want to relate right away is the most challenging time I had doing an, a radio interview, and it was face to face, and it was with you, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> It was way back. It must have been, I don't know, how many years ago was it? Four years ago, maybe? Five least, years ago? I yeah. think it might have been my first time on the, soon on after the network. You, yeah, soon after you opened Brooklyn Kitchen, yeah. I think. And a friend said, oh, Harry Rosenblum, you've got to have him on your show. He's terrific, and he's got this marvelous collection of antique and vintage kitchen tools. <laughs> and my show is about culinary history, and um, which... I have to say, guests love to come on because there's no other forum for right. it, really. You know, so <laughs> they get to talk on the radio. So here walks Harry into the studio, and we're going to have a discussion about these. And he brings in the box of these wonderful antique tools. But Harry, we're on the radio. <laughs> they can't see the tools. So the challenge was to use your words, as yeah. we tell our children, right? Yep. Use your words. And that's what it was a real learning curve for me, too. And, and it helped me out in future interviews. You have to use your words to describe um, a cooking technique, to describe all those tools sure. you brought in, to describe what does something look like. Um, and and that is, you know, it makes you stop and think. It's not just a conversation. Sometimes you have to actually describe things and experiences. Yeah, I, I had a guest, um, and uh, he was a he's a he's a chef. Uh, he's a young chef, but who also does a lot of fitness stuff. And he actually had me. I worked out once in, on the, the, studio. <laughs> in the studio. Yeah, the he was. Like, he like did some personal trainer stuff for me, and I was doing push ups and sit ups and. Well, you could hear the stuff. grunts. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's good. I think that audio. I listened to that episode. I mean, it's a it's a category in the Academy Awards sound editing. Yeah, because sound communicates so much. That's right. That's right. (laughs) That was that was David, our uh, intrepid engineer, uh, who engineers this show and many many other shows here every week. uh, From the uh, makes us sound good. He does. (laughs) He does indeed. Um, Well, uh, you know it's it's been a it's been a real pleasure um, having everybody on the show today. Um, I'm wondering, you know, I want to make sure that all of my listeners, hopefully we can cross pollinate a little bit. I mean, Linda's show, A Taste of the Past, um, really, you know, I think that the that was, I think, that was my first appearance on Heritage Radio Network. Yeah, was look what happened! And look at look at me now. <laughs> um, you know, I, I mean, I always look to the past. I mean, I think that you know we can always learn so much, and I have always been fascinated by vintage kitchen tools and vintage recipes and techniques and ingredients that may not exist anymore. And you know, in the last 
10 years, we've seen such a huge resurgence. I mean, just yesterday I was listening to an interview that the HRN team did at the Charleston uh, Wine and Food Festival about uh, Sapelo Island and cane sugar cane and sugar. cane syrup. I mean, you know, all these things that are sort of in different kinds of rice and, you know, sort of native grains that are that are coming back. So I think that, you know, the past is, is, a, is a great place to look. Uh, Jennifer Liuzzi with... Tech bites. I mean, looking at how technology is shaping what we do. Um, I think a lot of people they might be, you know. I I, I sense a, a co-host collaboration guest episode. <laughs> that would I mean that would be incredible, right? I mean, look, you know, look, <laughs> looking at what what technology uh, you know can do for us or how it can bring us together. I mean, as you so eloquently said in the first half of the show, um, you know, is is incredibly valuable. I think a lot of people's relationship to technology and food might be seamless, but there's a lot more, you know, beyond that where we can where we can go with it. I mean, you know, I feel like technology um, comes up and I'm interested to to hear your thoughts on this, uh, Jennifer, about um, you know, for me, I feel like technology in the kitchen, like the knife is kind of like the ultimate piece of kitchen technology. Um, even though we are living in a moment and tomorrow I'm going to Chicago to the International Housewares Association uh, trade show where, you know, I'm, I'm just going to I know I'm going to be bombarded with, you know, coffee makers that also are alarm clocks. And, and you know, and, and beyond that, I mean, you know, things where you can put a, you know, a white box in the side and you can get pasta primavera out of the other side. I mean, all kinds of things like that. So I think that uh, uh, you know, I'm curious to know if you know what your thoughts are on on sort of technology uh, as it relates to cooking. Well, I think when we when if we're talking about cooking and you mean cooking in a restaurant or cooking at home um, or cooking, you know, today at the consumer packaged good level, those are all three like extremely different things. Sure. But I think I would put the greatest invention that impacted cooking on all levels would probably be fire before the knife. Sure. Absolutely. I would put fire in the number one slot. I, um, I, I think, I think that's kind of wasn't fair. Going that far back. I mean, but yeah. well, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, we, we, we love things to be black and white, right? We yeah. always, we, we want things. And I think this, this may be a very American trait, but we want things to be the best or the worst or the most, or, you know, or all of those things. And I, I think, I mean, I think you're right. I think if we had to choose one that allowed us as people, I mean, there's a, a wonderful book, uh, and I'm I'm completely blanking on the author's name that I just recently read, um, called Catching Fire, um, and about how cooking made us human. Uh, James, uh, first name was James. Yes, yes. I mean I do have so Google right in front of me. I can, right. I can look it up. But but you know, but that book makes an incredible case for the fact yeah. that so fire I mean, is really. I, I do think the knife is is definitely great. Although I also think that all of the um, all of the innovations that have been made in the category of food preservation have been extremely impactful. And I think if you, I mean, you could go as far back as saying something like confit, which is a delicious French delicacy, um, which is basically a technique where you extract all of the moisture and liquid from a delicious duck leg and replace all that moisture with duck fat to then preserve it without refrigeration. Anything, you know, salting, drying, you know, all those things that people came up with to preserve food. And even today, dehydrators, sous vide, you know, vacuum packaging, um, you know, space age ice cream, you know, all that kind of stuff. All of those are um, developments of people trying to preserve food, either, you know, canning and pickling from the very simple way of I grew amazing strawberries this summer and I want to be able to eat them 
this winter. Right. In the all the snow way up to, today. you know, we have to save food or serve people who are, you know, away from a kitchen. So, I, I mean, I think everything that's sort of in that food preservation category, it's, it's a wide gamut. Um, but I think those things are really impactful. And a lot of the things that you see with the molecular gastronomy and all the, the wizards in the kitchen, they draw a lot of technology from other um, other industry, medical industry, science industry, and they're sort of reappropriating things that were designed to do other things. And in most cases, it's, it's you know, preservation, preserving something. Mm. Absolutely. Well, I, I can't, uh, you know, I can't stress enough that anyone who's listening to this show should jef- definitely check out Tech Bytes. Um, and also check out Sherry's show on the industry um, if you want to know what's happening in, in the world of restaurants. Um, you know, we are, uh, oh, I, I did find the name, uh, Richard Rangham Richard, is the, Richard, uh, is yeah, the author of catching fire, how cooking made us human. Um, you know, excellent, excellent read. I, I would recommend it to anybody. Um, you know, we're, we're just about out of time here on feast your ears. Uh, you know, sometimes the, you know, we, we run over time here, but I like to keep the show to about, about 40, 45 minutes. Um, I, it, does anybody have anything else that they would like to share? Any events you have coming up? Uh, any exciting guests you have coming on your show? I have another one of our hosts who couldn't make it here today. Andrew Friedman um, just wrote the book Chefs, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, and Great about title. yeah, it's about how you know the how how American chefs created the role of the celebrity chef, if you will, I guess, and how they really changed the whole. Uh, restaurant industry and and the whole job of chefing it's interesting mm. very interesting i mean I'd, I'd love to check out you were saying yeah. before the show that you can't put it down that it's a really yeah, great read yeah well a lot because it traces the era of my life sure absolutely <laughs> <I'm a> 68 <laughs> on but yeah. um yeah it was it's so that's good that's an event cool that's anyone sounds. else um i, I want to just say congratulations again to harry um, for doing a great show and that I'm also slightly envious of his show because I feel like he gets to really talk to anybody and everybody. <laughs> and as much as I love technology, I often run across people who I think are so interesting and you have some of the most interesting uh, people on your show. Oh, and I also you. want to thank you for being sort of the de facto um, clubhouse event space for the <laughs> network at the Brooklyn Kitchen. We've yeah. had so many great events there. Um, and if you're in the neighborhood and you're interested in cooking and spaces and great things, it's a really wonderful, wonderful place. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Sherry, do you have anything exciting coming up on the horizon? Any great guests? Um, well, yeah. I'm going to be having David Rabin on my show coming cool. up. Oh, um, he's like the nightlife OG, I guess you yeah. could say, from oh my back God, in the David day. David Lotus. Lotus. <laughs> yeah, back in Lotus and going full circle. When I started doing PR in 2001, I worked on Lotus's PR, so that's how I oh know him. Um, so uh, he's he's going to be my guest coming up, and I just want to also just reiterate everyone's comments and and compliments. What Jennifer said, what Linda said, and. Uh, Congratulations, Harry. Like, it's, it's a huge milestone. You're an amazing host, and I wish you much continued success. And thank you for including me. It was really special to be a part of your show. Well, thank you. Thank and, you Harry, I wanted to ask you, yeah. what have you got coming up? 
What do I have coming up? Um, I have uh, coming up, I have an interview that I did with Patrick Martins, who uh, who jumped in earlier in the show, and Frank Reese, uh, who is the uh, farmer behind the Good Shepherd right. uh, farm and sort of helped Patrick create uh, Heritage Foods uh, initially. Um, I have a uh, I have a couple of I have a couple of interviews uh, with other farmers. I have a, a lamb farmer named John Jameson who's out in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, who's coming on the mm-hmm. show, uh, who does a lot of a lot of work with uh, grass-fed uh, raised lamb. Uh, I have Chef Jeremy Salomon, uh, who's a young young rising star chef mm. in the city, who's coming on my show. Um, and I also have, uh, later in May, um, I have a show coming up with, uh, someone who I find really fascinating, who I've been kind of stalking for a while, uh, a woman named Janelle Shane, who is a, uh, a science researcher who works with neural networks. And I first came across her, uh, she was feeding, she fed a neural network 30,000 recipes and asked the computer to write recipes based on the data set. Um, they're completely nonsensical. They're unmakeable, but they're hilarious. And they well, are... That means robots won't take our job too <laughs> No, soon, I right? don't think they will. Um, you can find her blog at AIweirdness.com. Um, uh, and it's it's really, it's worth a read. Um, it is one of the few things that I know whenever she posts a new blog post, I can look at it and I will basically fall off my chair laughing because the things the computer comes up with are just from a language perspective and as someone who loves language and loves words um they're just hilarious they're really funny so that should be a really fun excellent, interview excellent excellent choice right. uh, <laughs> anyway thanks everybody uh for joining me today on my 100th episode of feast your ears uh it was a, it was a lot of fun thanks david tatashore for engineering engineers this show every week my pleasure you can find feast your ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org Uh, on Stitcher, iTunes, now on Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. Please take a moment to like the show uh, on any of those platforms if you do, in fact, like it. Uh, Luckily, I don't think they have a thumbs down button, so you can't really (laughs) tell me that. But you can email me, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on social media at thefoodballer, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you. for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.